Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, Centering the Marginalized in Mormonism. Derek, how you doing, sir? I'm so excited about this conversation. As am I. We have the one, the only, Callianne Barnett joining us today. Callianne, how you doing, fam? I am doing great. I mean, it's a beautiful Saturday morning. Um, you know, I was just in Salt Lake City, so I'm feeling the spirit. I'm ready mm. to get in, talk about everything you guys want to talk about. I'm an open book. Like, you can read me like the gospel. Let's go. <laughs> All right. I'm here for it. Let's go ahead and get started. So, um, Kellyanne, we, uh, most people are going to know you from uh, the video that was uh, posted on the church's social media site. So they, ha- so they might be a little familiar with your story already, but just as a quick recap, can you talk to us a little bit about your journey towards Mormonism and your journey eventually in uh, joining the church? You know, I, I, I grew up actually, um, was baptized Catholic, then I went to non-denominational church, um, believed in God, Jesus, was like youth group church president, um, and turned 18, got a tattoo, um, decided oh my like... Gosh. <laughs> No, I just decided, like, you know, I, I was ready to go out there, like, live my life. And I also looked at, you know, I was looking at, like, what religion, you know, symbolized or, what, like, the control that it had over people and just just the hypocrisy that existed within religion. I decided I didn't want to be a part of that. Like, you know, I, I'm not a person who can say, like, I believe in something, but I believe in something for you to follow, not for me to follow. And so it, I just didn't want to be a part of it. And, you know, I believed in universe, higher power um you know do good things good things happen to you and for the most part felt like i was a really great person um and that's how i lived my life <laughs> and i bumped into a friend or I, I met a friend who's now a friend clark and um at a brand Wade summit uh, my client is Dwayne wade and we started talking like i noticed one day at um at a summit like he wasn't drinking like we were all out drinking like and i i've had enough drinks for like nine lives okay so i'm like wait a second (laughs) you're you're not drinking but you're like fun and i'm enjoying your company um and so i was just like oh well you know i'm a member of the church of jesus christ by the saints Uh, you might said i'm a mormon um but you know just for what we're supposed to say but um i'm a mormon you know it's part of my religion we don't we don't believe in um drinking and i was like okay uh that's weird (laughs) Uh, but you know just i but he was really cool dude and as we got closer and closer from working together like i started to i started to see his light like and that for a, a lack of a better word um i was drawn to it just on like how he was with his family how um how nice he was and i come from a pretty big family we're very like you know if, if we let you in, you in. Like, you, mm-hmm. we can met you yesterday, and we're like, well, you need a place to sleep. You need some food to eat. Like, and that's how, like, Clark was, where he was just like, oh, yeah, no, you want to have your son's third birthday party at my house? Go ahead. Like, the first time I met his wife, I was like, hi, I'm Kellyanne. I'm having a party at your house. Like, that's, <laughs> and she's like, hi. Ah. So, so that's like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And he's, he was so, um, he was in, in the world, but like, you know, and we use this, but not of the world. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. like, it's just interesting. So as we carried on, like I got to know him. Um, and one, um, so before I actually stopped drinking before I decided to get baptized, which I think that was part of um, me being able to, to accept the gospel. So with my son, I have a seven year old and I have a 
15 month old um or 16 month old it's like going on four he's like mm-hmm. he's the size of a four-year-old but he's 15 months old <laughs> um, but my seven-year-old i remember when i had him um you know i started doing this thing like when he was sleeping i put my hand on him and i'd say you know you're my perfect perfect you know you saved my life you're gonna like just just this positive affirmation and you know i promised to be everything that i could be for him to make sure he had a great life and like as i the more i did that and I would leave and go, you know, go work. And I definitely did not engage in behaviors that would allow me to, to live up to those promises of, you know, being everything for him. Like, and that's where I started to like, I, I, I think that was like the first time I was like, wait a second, I'm making these promises, but I'm not keeping them because I'm, you know, going out, I'm drinking, I'm driving, like just engaging in just, just things that can potentially ruin his life. Mm. You know, from there, I was like, I, I guess that was like the, okay, I need something different. But I was still like pushing it to the side. Like, no, I want to live my life. And one year going to Mykonos, I, I missed the flight because one flight was delayed. It was like just like the trip, trickle down effect. And I was walking through Athens airport crying, realizing that, you know, like the reason that I, that I had missed this flight, like the connecting flight was because I chose my stuff. Like I was like, okay, I can make my flight or I can get my bags. And I chose my stuff. And I was like, I'm creating this prison for myself. Like I am, you know, like, by needing all of this stuff, by wanting all this worldly stuff, I'm creating this prison for myself. Like I need a restart. Like I need to like get rid of everything, you know, do clean out, not shop anymore. And for me, like shopping is fasting. Like, it, like if I'm sorry, not shopping is fasting. Like I don't care about food. Like I could not eat if like <laughs> I could absolutely not eat, but not shop. What? Mm. Like I created, I have a job that allows me to do what I love shopping. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm not going to shop anymore. You know, I'm, I'm not drinking. I'm not, you know, partaking in anything else. And I was like, okay, this is this is what I'm doing, and that allowed me. And oh, and you know, and I remember telling my friend, like, I was like, I want to be perfect. I want to be perfect. And she's like, that's so Callianne. And I was like, what's wrong with being perfect? Like everyone should want to be perfect, right? And I think that was like the that was like the first like, okay, something's about to happen. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know like that, you know opened i was being softened to receive the gospel but that's like how it started i don't like reading i didn't like reading absolutely against reading uh give me a movie any day and i sat down i read a book um by paulo coelho by the river piedra i sat down and wept which is it's about a woman who actually was like had a actually had a spirituality or she was religious and lost her faith and it's like her journey back to, um, so it's a weird book for me to pick up first. <laughs> and then I read The Alchemist and I read um, A-List and I read, like, so I read a bunch of books and I was like, you know what, Clark, give me your book. Like, you know, you're such a practical person, but you've, you've told me about this, like religion. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I do it because I'm like religion that <laughs> believes in these gold plates. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, give me a book. Let me, you know, let me read it and I'm going to prove you wrong. And, that's how it started. Mm. I proved him so wrong. <laughs> yeah. Look at you. Was it been like two years since then? Something like that? <laughs> yeah. So wrong. <laughs> Check you out now. Yeah. All up in it. So a question that I really have, and particularly when it comes to people of color, I always have to know, like, could the members of the church or could the church in general could have done anything to kind of make your journey into the fold a little easier absolutely like by not 
just owning up to the mistake, you know, I think, I think a lot of times people, you know, you want to say like, Oh, well, they, they danced around it. They gave the, you know, black men, the priesthood. Um, but no one said like, we were wrong. Mm-hmm. We were wrong. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no, I can't find anything. It's like, we were wrong. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes that, that simple statement clears so much up because there are still people that are alive um, that one, weren't able to hold a priesthood and, and two, believe that black people are cursed, which is why they couldn't hold a priesthood. Not that, you know, there was a racist prophet um, mm-hmm. and he allowed his own bias or the need to, to I guess, thrive in, in America and in the world to to kind of dictate his his gospel or to dictate the principles that the church followed so i, I mean it's it's as it's, it's easy as just saying like yeah you know we messed up because we know we mess up like that's mm-hmm. part of us being here we are going to mess up that mm-hmm. is it like it is it is so guaranteed it is a guarantee just as much as if we accept jesus christ into our life and repent we can be forgiven it's the same way we're going to make mistakes, which is why we have, which is why we have to accept Jesus into our life and we can repent and then we're forgiven. Like it, they go hand in hand. It's not, you know, it's not that difficult, but people are people. So mm-hmm. you have to look past you. I've learned you have to look past um, people's indiscretions to, to get to what is true. And I know the gospel is true. So I can't let the indiscretions of a person keep me from what I know is true. Yeah, you know, James has to look past my indiscretions all the time, especially my jokes. <laughs> like, forgiving me for those. Yeah. But you know he's true, so you're like, you know, I'm going to look past. Yeah. All of bad I got you. I feel you, James. I literally say this all the time to people. I will say, Derek is the truth. Like, I never talk about his jokes, but, like, I always tell him, Derek is the truth. So um, if I heard you correctly, and I just want to make sure I understand this, but if the church had simply, or if the people even, had simply owned the mistake of the racism that was present in the priesthood ban, that could have made things easier for you. You could have, for lack of a better phrase, forgiven that if people had simply owned the racism that was present in the text and the racism present in the history. And you know what? So, yes, but I also think that, you know what? I like to argue. If it wasn't in there, I probably wouldn't have found nothing to argue with. Uh-huh. So this, like, you know, it, it might have been needed. But no, I, mm-hmm. honestly, it, it makes it once once I've got once I got into and accepted the gospel, had that language not been there, like I I could just just accept, yeah, like just accept because I would have been reading through it, you know. But that definitely was like, all right, but it says this and this says this and why is this this? And I'm also doing research at the same time while I'm reading, and you're just like reading all of the history and you're like, but why is there no apology? So absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I have another follow-up question on that. Do you have any sort of heroes of faith or role models that you looked to either when you were joining the church or now like saying, Oh, here's an example of someone who did it before. And I can sort of lean into that or imitate that. Or do you have any role models uh, either alive or in church history? Well, Clark, Clark is, a role model mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. for me like because he was honestly like I can, I can say he was like that that light that beacon that was like you know look at me 
um, come here, like, you know, guiding me back to my path. Um, in scriptures, like I always call Alma is my homeboy. Like mm-hmm. we got so much similarities. It like me and him get oh, like it, like get along. And I was like, oh, okay, so you can, you know, for lack of a better words, be super anti the church and still find your way back and still do good to bring more people to, um, you know, the words. I mean, my, I, in my baptism, I had like this list of like lighthouses my mother my mother is um i mean just just one of the best women you will ever meet and she is you know strong in her faith and her belief in you know the lord and savior um <clears throat> so like yeah i have i have several throughout like throughout my life that i can look to and that i've looked to um and i've seen how they live their life and you know the happiness and just their inner content, like they're, they're, I don't know, it's just like a happy with who they are. So that, uh, speaking of beacons, that brings me to one more person that you've talked about actually in uh, your talk, which is aptly titled, Jesus was a black socialist. I love this talk so much. I want to ask you about Sister Robinson because, uh, you know, not all of us are fortunate, not all of us are uh, fortunate to have a Sister Robinson as a... Like, I had a Sister Robinson growing up, but I'm so happy to hear that you had a Sister Robinson because uh, I know that me as a young black man growing up in the church, I was always... And I didn't have the vocabulary to articulate it at the time, but I was always, like, teetering on this tightrope of wondering, how black am I allowed to be in this space? And when is there going to be an appropriate time for this part of me to come out? Bless my parents. I love them to death, you know, they, but they raised me on respectability politics, much the same way that Mordecai kind of taught Esther to not tell anybody she was Jewish in order for her to survive. So, like, I want to honor that for my parents and saying they told me to be a certain way so that I could survive in certain spaces. But at the same time, in the church, in this very space where my authentic identity is supposed to be valued, I found myself doing you know, something similar to what you did at the beginning of this story. And then Sister Robinson had to come up and be like, you have black children. You need to tell your truth. I, I just want to know, was this, what kind of liberating was this for you? Because I remember my Sister Robinson moment. For me, I had... My first moment like that kind of like changed the game for me. I don't know if it was the first moment for you or perhaps because you grew up outside of the church and were clearly comfortable in your blackness prior to joining the church. You didn't necessarily need a moment like this, but you still had one and that seemed to be liberating for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? And it's funny because as a light-skinned black woman, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have our own issues within being black um, that we have to, you know, navigate. I, I I did not always embrace my blackness. I'm like at all like I I was like I'm a Caribbean woman. I'm not a black woman. So it you know it wasn't until uh, no it's serious. It wasn't until about maybe five years ago when you know all of this like the the Trump era started coming out. And I was like oh racism does exist. That I was mm-hmm. like wait a second I'm a black woman. You know like it took <laughs> no it it took for you know like blatant racism in the world and in the U S. and for me to for me to see it for me to like go oh crap like i'm black like you know like no i'm i'm we're all the same like african-american black caribbean like we're all the same so you know 
I've always just been me, like, and I'm going to say and be who I am in whatever space I am, I'm in. Like, you're not going to um, get me to make myself smaller or like I, I have pink hair, you know, I have, before I had flaming red hair. Like I'm, I am me, like I'm a 411 giant. Um, hello, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in this space. So, um, so uh, joining the church was definitely like, all right, you know, everybody is a little bit like the first church I went to was in San Clemente. And when I'm talking about just like everybody is blonde hair, blue eyed with children at two, four, six, and 10. Like, it was just like, uh, it's like, like, this can't be like this. This isn't how, you know, I don't like, this is real. But, and then I came to my church and my church is like, my, my ward is very, very like real. Like we have, you know, we're dual language. We have, you know, everybody we have from, you know, white to Hispanic to Haitian to just everyone in there. So I was mm. a little bit more like, okay, this is, this is a little normal. But um, I think that I, I it, it was two things. One, we were on, um, it was Zoom church. And I was just like, you know, mm. this is not the time for me to be like, y'all need to say something, you know, because I'm still, I'm still very new. Like this is, you know, I'm a year in not even I don't even think actually was not even a year into being a member. So I'm like, okay, do I start rocking this boat already? Mm-hmm. Or do I let people get to know me more? Um mm-hmm. and then Sister Robinson was like, nah, nah, boo. <laughs> <laughs> they rocking the boat for you. You better you mm-hmm. know, better let them know that mm-hmm. we this is who we are. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh you know what you are absolutely right. The next time I get an opportunity to say it, I'm gonna say it, but also I wanted I also want an opportunity to give context because I can say it, you know, in mm-hmm. testimony that you have, you know, like five minutes to, to speak your truth or, you know, the Lord knows what, what you need. And when you need it, you know, I was asked to give a talk and it was just the right timing. And then we got this talk, which is, again, so incredible. Um, the first thing that was like that stood out to me when I saw this talk was just like, hold up. She ain't been a member, but for like two years, maybe. And she's already giving this talk in this space. She must feel really comfortable in this space. And, uh, you know, I kind of envied that a little bit because it took me a while to get to this point where I could be so comfortable, you know, declaring my identity, preaching Jesus with, you know, the justice that is required of Jesus in a church, uh, in a church space. Um, you know, granted, I have been a member of this church for a while. So I like, you know, I've been in that space for a while now, but at the same time, I look at somebody like you who's been able to get to this point, perhaps as a matter of necessity, like you said, these last five, seven years, however long we've been saying Black Lives Matter now, this probably came as a necessity to you and you really seem to have rose to the occasion. So um, just having looked at the contents of this talk and uh, all the things that you have uh, elected to say in here, I have to ask, what was the reception of it like? So I, it was actually very well received. I think, you know, um, I had a a few friends come to church with me just as like, okay, they were like, we don't know. I told them I was doing the talk and they're like, well, we might have to run you out of here. So we're we're, we're gonna come (laughs) (laughs) and be like your support system. And it is like, by no means is it an easy thing to stand up in front of, you know, people who have been members and not necessarily attack them, but like tell them like, like this is what we go through as black people. Like, Mm -hmm. and a lot of these issues stem from the 
lies that we that we enter the church in. Like Jesus is not white. They like he could not be white. Like it just just based on you know where ge- geographics. Like just put the geographics, put the science. Like which is which we know is true as well as the gospel. Put them mm-hmm. together. Jesus could not look like this blonde hair, blue eyed surfer guy. Like, and I'm all the way into like blonde hair, blue eyes. My husband has blue eyes. Like, so I'm all for, you know, blue eyed Jesus, but, um, but it's not true. It's not true. And it, and it keeps a whole group of people, um, from being able to really accept themselves. Because if you're said that we're made in his image and yet he don't look like me, like, mm-hmm then what's wrong with me? And then coupled the scriptures that are saying, you know, curse the skin of darkness. So now I'm like, I don't look like Jesus and I'm cursed. Like, like how, and then I wasn't allowed to, you know, my dad, my, my, my brothers wasn't allowed to hold the priesthood because God said so. Like, where does that leave me as a human? And, and then on the other side, what has been allowed, um, how people have rationalized their their behaviors towards people of color based on the idea that they are what Jesus looks like. And granted, I think most people do not even realize. Like most people, it's because when you're in, when when you are what Jesus looks like, you're not thinking about the effects of what that does to everybody. So I think mm-hmm. for the most part, a lot of people came up to me like, I, I never thought about that. Like I did not realize like how that could affect people of color. And then I had, you know, I had several members say, thank you. I have felt this my entire life. Like I, this, you know, when I look at a picture of Jesus, like I, I feel this. So it was, it was very well received. Um, but then again, you know, church culture, we're always not going to tell you the truth. How would feel? So, <laughs> so you're going to tell me like, thank you, Kelly, and great talk. And you're yeah. really like this so-and-so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's another thing that I've noticed, uh, especially missionary work here in, you know, the East Coast United States, a lot of people will automatically be turned off from the church based on its positions around LGBT folks or women. Like here in New England, if you try to, like, nope, that's a non-starter for so many progressive real world people. So how did you navigate this? Did you get opposition from people? Change doesn't happen if the same people are in the same rooms together. Like I have, I'm, I'm very comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I'm like, I'm, I'm comfortable with being the person that says, you know, like that's wrong. Um, and I think that you have to enter these spaces. So in order for there to be any change or acceptance within within the church and that I believe, like I I truly believe in my heart. I know without a doubt that, you know, the church is true, that the gospel is true, like that it's good. Like, so, but there are once again, people involved. So nothing's going, like change isn't going to happen if there's, if there's not somebody standing up and saying that, you know, Hey, guess what? Like it says it, God makes no mistakes. So we have to get to a point where, where it's like everybody sees that. And not to mention, it's not up to you to determine what's right or wrong because you know who determines that? God. And let, and it, and let that person deal with their own, you know, if, if that's what they, if that's who they are, that's who they are. Let them deal with that. If it's wrong, they'll find out at the end. If it's not, 
then they'll walk into the pearly gates just like everybody else. But you can't put these like, you know, you you can't say um, or I mean, you can't say whatever you want, but you can't put restrictions on what's right or wrong for everybody else and accept certain things but not accept others some things are forgivable some things aren't like that it's all between you and god and that's how i approach it is like it's all between you and god and i want to be the person like i want to be a person who accepts everybody and i want to be one of those people in the church that accepts people and makes it a safe space for people who don't feel comfortable in there and if there's not there's not me then you know or you or are the progressives um then then no one's gonna feel safe i'm the person like me wouldn't feel safe what's that you're always saying about changing the room derek the goal is to really change the room you may not change individual minds but just by being yourself you can actually change the room by your expectations i absolutely agree and that was the first thing i noticed when i saw uh your video kellyanne like Anytime I like I have to watch any video that's on the church's website that has a black person in it, my chest immediately tightens because I'm just like, please be cool. Please be cool. Please be cool. Like, because I know exactly what the church is going to do with this video. I'm like, they're going to parade this all about and like, see, like it's their way of saying, look, the water is fine, you know, and that's what I feel like they do with my presence. Like my mere presence in this church is kind of sending that implicit message. Come on in. The water is fine. And I have to know, do the people that are going to come into this space, do they know what waits them, awaits them here? Like, yes, the gospel is true. And that is, that is above everything else. But also it takes stamina and it takes effort to be in this space that can at times be so hostile to who you are as a person. And that can, that can wear on somebody. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that experience for you since you have, uh, since you've been in the church, how has been your stamina? How has your self-care looked like? And uh, how has your, um, how has your discipleship looked, especially considering your identities and the room that we have to change? It's funny because I'm like, okay, if you would have told me three years ago that I would be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I would be a Mormon. I would have laughed you like, <laughs> like, and probably put some explicits in there. Um, who knows, <laughs> you know. So now to Clark always called. He's like, you're like a super Mormon. Like you're like you're like so Mormon. Like I I went to Bahama Breeze in a minivan with a bunch of ladies like Bahamas Breeze is like um, a chain restaurant in Miami so it's like going like TJ Fridays but like in a minivan like I don't even go in minivan so it's like (laughs) (laughs) I was like what whoa what's happening to me I mean like you know we all have like you know non-alcoholic daiquiris like so Mm -hmm. it's 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 like whoa but um I don't mind it like I don't I think that it is necessary to show that you can be yourself and be a member. You can be yourself and love Jesus. Like, and you can be yourself and the church accepts you as who you are. Like, mm. do, and, and yes, it, by no means, well, am I going to say like, it is easy to do this because it, it in life, it is hard. It is hard being yourself in life. Not, mm-hmm. not even just part of the church, like standing up, for who you are, like it, it's difficult because 
there's so much around you. There's so many people. There are so many challenges there. It's, it's easier to conform. But part mm-hmm. of enduring to the end is is a challenge. Like that, that's hard in itself. So that same sort of energy that you're taking in enduring to the end, you should take with being who you are. And, you know, people are going to have opinions of you. It's just how they are. People are going to judge you. But you have to be, and, and like I said, it's not easy, but you have to be strong and confident in who you are. You have to know, know the gospel. You have to read it for yourself. Like if you read it for yourself, no one can tell you who you should or shouldn't be because mm-hmm. you've read it. You know the truth. And I think that's where like, I find so many members. Like, so I've had a lot of people reach out to me, um, you know, from the video. And the biggest shock was that a lot of people have not read the Book of Mormon. And I'm like, how are you mm-hmm. a member, but you mm-hmm. have not read the Book of Mormon? Like, mm-hmm. I think that if you read the Book of Mormon, like if you start there, then it, you, everything else makes sense. Like you, there's there's nothing that anyone can say to you that can challenge or shake your faith because you know it to be true. Not somebody t- mm-hmm. told you to, for, for it to be true. Like we joke about the, the mission. I had to do my missionary lessons. And that like most of the time we sat there and talked just about everything under the sun. And then in the end, we'd be like, oh, wait, crap. I was supposed to tell you blah, blah, blah. What's the articles of faith? Blah, blah, blah. Like, because we were just <laughs> talking because I had, there was nothing to teach me because I was I had already read it. You know, I, I, I knew the truth. Like you weren't trying to convince me of, mm-hmm. I, I already knew it. So mm-hmm. I, I think that I'm, I'm okay with, I'm, I'm happy that the church that has selected me, I'm happy that God put me in this place, um, in my truth. And I'm glad that I've had all of the experience that I've experiences that I've had in and out of the church to allow me to, to be able to say, no, I speak my truth. You should speak your truth. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me because what I think the church really wants is people who have come alive, who know their authentic truth, are willing to speak it. That's what we see all throughout the scriptures is people living into their truth and making a difference. And I'm so and so our stories on many ways are very different, but I'm resonating with the same spirit that brought you into the church also brought me into the church. Like there's so much happening here in um I don't know how to explain it, but just living authentically into your discipleship is something that people, I think, kind of take for granted. People like us may be tempted to take for granted um, because conformity, you know, unity under the guise of uniformity is, you know, unfortunately a bit of a cultural problem we have in the church. So the first thing I, one of the first things I said to myself as I, you know, learned about your story is first, I'm just so glad that somebody who's so comfortable being themselves is being seen by people. Somebody who's so different is, uh, you know, living into her authentic expression of herself and she is making discipleship work. Like that is a pretty big deal. And I'm so glad that people get to see that you can be who it is and what it is that you are and still be a disciple of Christ. And uh, that sends what I feel is the proper message to others that as you are, you as you are, are welcome here. And this place, you know, if it's not made for you, it needs to be. So, like, I'm just so glad that, uh, you know, you have that comfort in being uncomfortable, as you said before, and also that you are still doing it 
because you are so needed. Like people like you who come into the room and change it are so needed. Um, so I want to ask more specifically, when it comes to your life's mission, whatever you feel that might be, I really like this question that this African tribe of people ask. They ask, what brought you forth? Like that's kind of the introductory question that they ask to like get to know somebody. They're in essence asking, why were you put on this earth? So I kind of want to ask you that, Kalyan. Why do you believe you were put on this earth? And uh, what role does your faith playing in filling that role? So first I want to say, I love, I love what you said, unity under the guise of uniformity. Like that. Mm-hmm. You just, whew, you just felt my soul, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you did. But um, so my purpose, I, it's funny. I posted um, a picture of my husband who's a fireman Um and I, in it, I tell the story of, I imagine how, you know, how my coming to earth happened, um, where, you know, God was like, you know, we're going to send, I'm, I'm a Leo, so I'm a fire sign and I'm just like, um, I'm, I'm a fire. Like I am. Okay. Hold up. Rising moon, uh, sun. I need uh, all of them. Uh, uh, so, so rising, rising, um, Leo, my, um, I don't, I can't remember the rest of them. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, sorry. I'm going to get your chart. We're going to get your time of birth, your birthday. Them. Like I'm getting the whole chart, but we'll, <laughs> we'll do that later. Leo okay. though. We'll go with that. So Leo, um, and I'm a Leo like through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, I imagine that God was like, I'm going to send fire onto the earth. And like, not, it wasn't like, you know, literal sense of like fire. It was like, I'm going to send Callianne onto the earth. And, <laughs> and you know, then my husband, they sent my, husband after because they were like oh wait a second uh she may burn up this whole place before you know <laughs> we bring her and bring herself like bring her to do what she's here to do um so they had to send my husband to like you know as a fireman because firemen don't necessarily always put out fire sometimes they just control them sometimes they you know backfire where they you know light fires to like control and that's my husband is very good at like guiding me on on what on where i should go and calming me down when i need to and letting me like you know, let me be as fiery as I want to when I when I need to be. But um, I'm I, flaming I really, too. Are you flaming? Oh <laughs> Why? Let's, let's, we can go. We can go. You know, set a blaze together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, but I I really believe my purpose on on this earth is to to be myself and show people that it is okay to be yourself. Like it is, I'm here as a guide for, for those who are not, um, I don't want to seen, it's not seen necessarily as worthy, but those who are not seen as like acceptable. Um, because I've, I've dealt with that. Like I've been the, you know, the weird girl, you know, in my entire life, I was like, oh, Kelly, you're a little weird. And, and now, actually, now that I'm a Mormon, people are like, oh, but you're normal. Like, because <laughs> Mormons are so weird. <laughs> Being a Mormon, yeah. just, mm-hmm. it's so weird. It's like, to me, Such becoming... Such peculiar people. Yeah, to peculiar. me, becoming a weird Mormon to be normal, like, it doesn't make sense. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I really feel like that's my purpose, to, to like, live in my truth and show others that it is okay to live in your truth and that um that speaking your mind is not always a negative thing like i have you know my my favorite um 
parable is, you know, Jesus and the fig tree. Like, and I use it often because I'm like, you know, even Jesus cursed the fig tree. Like it wasn't all, you know, rainbows and butterflies and love. It was like, sometimes you have to say what it is. You have to call people out. And, and once again, nothing happens, nothing changes unless you're, you're being that change. And, and I also think that I have, you know, I lived a whole nother life before this life. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, I, I was a completely not different person because at the core, I'm still who I am. Um, I am a loving child of God um, that care of, like, I, I care about people way too much sometimes, but I also put myself first more than I should. Um, and I did damaging things to, you know, my, my, my body by drinking, by engaging in certain activities. So I can speak to now, I can speak to this new generation. I can speak, not even new, I can speak to this generation where we are bombarded with, you know, what is cool and what should be and, and say like, I promise you, it's not that cool. Like, you know, I can say, if you have to drink to have more fun, it's not that fun because I've lived that life. Like I've had that life. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't humbled. I chose to see the light. I chose to accept Jesus into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can say that like, you don't, don't wait until it's too late. Like there are signs all around us. Like there are, you know, guiding us back to our path, guiding, telling us where we need to be. And I, like, I'm that sign. Like, listen here, you don't need to, you, you don't need to engage in these behaviors to be happy. What you think is happiness usually is not. So I want to talk a little bit, speaking of bringing your full self, I want to hear more about your work, like your art and your talent and what, how that has brought joy and meaning and purpose to your life. Yes, ma'am. I want to hear about this too, simply because, you know, there's been, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the mid 2000s, every NBA player in their post interview dressed like Urkel. And then I was like, oh, of course, Kellyanne's working. <laughs> I'm so glad she's out here. So I kind of want to hear more about this dress too. Like Urkel. They actually dressed like, they dressed more like these over like suit suits. They were like these 1920s gangster suits that were terrible. Yep. Um, so yeah, so I'm, you know, I've been a stylist for 15 years. I'm showing my age, showing my age. Kidding. <laughs> uh, like I'm like, oh, I love my age. I started in in the music industry and I ended up going over to sports because I realized that there was a whole niche that of like athletes that needed to be dressed and they weren't being dressed. In their, I mean, you can't get like, they're superstars. Like they're larger than life superstars. They, you know, they look great in clothes. They have great bodies. So I started working with athletes and Dwayne Wade, who is now an owner of the Utah Jazz. So <laughs> hello, yes, ma'am. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I can't take credit for that. That's all God's doing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just like how God works, you know, so like I'm a member. Someone actually posted this on Twitter. They're like, um, Dwayne prays at baptism. Dwayne becomes owner of the jazz. And it was like, Dwayne becomes a uh, apostle like it's like this whole is like <laughs> so we're Slippery like slope progress is linear so it's it's like you know it's i i started working with athletes and you know it, it allowed me to continue to to live in a creative space because i didn't have to like you know tone down who i was to go to work every day like i didn't work mm. a nine to five i worked a you know a 6 a.m to you know 
2 p.m. the next day, you know, like it's like so I and I can show up how I wanted to show up. I can have, you know, red hair, pink hair, braid. I can have whatever I wanted. So it allowed me to continue to be who I was. But, you know, but I also think that I wanted to be an FBI agent before I decided to be a stylist. Oh, snap. <laughs> Talking about uniformity. Yeah. OK. <laughs> that probably been a whole different conversation. I probably would never been here, but I've been able to live in myself. I've been able to be who I am. Um because of my work and I've been able to allow people to be who they are by being a stylist. It's not, or dressing people. It's not about, you know, like, like putting on the most trendy thing. It is an expression of who they are without them opening their mouth. So that's at the core of what I do. It's allowing people to send their message for everyone who may not get an opportunity to talk to them. Oh my gosh. That's what, what, (laughs) Dude, I just heard the gospel parallel in there. And I I just, I'm going to beat Derek to it. But you know, this is ultimately what the gospel is. You know, you are bearing your testimony. You are being a missionary. Like, what was the quote? Preach the gospel. And if you have to use words, I think was the quote. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is the most, this is literally the most powerful missionary work or preaching of the gospel we will ever do is those things we do without having to say a single word. So... I just like how you described your job like that and how style works. You are making a statement about who you are, what you value, before you even speak a word. It's really cool. Yeah, and it's almost like your clothing makes you more you than if you were naked. You would think, oh, if you're naked, that's just more authentically you. But I think there's something about clothing that adorns and beautifies and brings out this authenticity and expression. And expression is what makes you you and so i'm gonna follow i love tying everything back into the scriptures you're gonna have to forgive me but i noticed thinking about this i want to ask you a little bit about how clothing someone can be an act of intimacy or an act of um sort of commitment or involvement or closeness and i've been thinking of i could probably come up with 20 scriptures that talk about clothing but from the beginning to the end of the bible like genesis 3 god clothes adam and eve with the skins and then in revelation chapter 7 you've got all of these saints who are robed in white and it says that those robes were washed in the blood of the lamb and i think clothing them with those robes is very important you look at luke 2 you've got Mary wrapping cloths around the baby Jesus. You've got Ephesians 6, where it says, put on the full armor of God. And that that Greek wor- verb in duo really means to put on an article of clothing, to dress yourself in the armor of God. And this is the same verb that's in Galatians 3.27 that says, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That's to, to put on the Christ as clothing. So tell me a little, little bit about how you see clothing someone what does that do what does that do that's so funny that you just said that because i remember when i was explaining to my husband um you know what it means to be a member what it means to get baptized because my husband's not a member um although it's like the greatest person ever if you had to choose between one of us which one is a member you're picking him every single time but i said to him i said being a member of the church accepting um Jesus into my life is the equivalent to you wearing your uniform every single day. It is like the person that you are out of your uniform is not the same person you are in your uniform. So that is what, you know, becoming a member is. It's, it's me being my best self on my best behavior all the time. Um, so I think where, you know, when it comes, yes, being a stylist is a very, very 
it is an intimate job because you, you know, people's insecurities. Um, you know, a lot of what I do is, you know, one trying to either assure them that those insecurities are, are, are really just insecurities and, and you're beautiful, like the way you are. And especially when they're like, women have, I guess, have the most issues here. It's like, it's like, no, no, no. Every, like people want to be you. Like you don't have to try to hide this or mask this, like embrace this. Um, so I think, so yeah, I think where, where my job comes into play is it's, it's like sitting, it's, it's sitting with somebody, allowing them to, to tell me who they are um, and who, how they want the world to see them. And usually how they want the world to see them is who they want to become, you know? And so even if sometimes it's not who you are at this moment, it's like, this is how I want the world to see me. This is, this is what I am aspiring to be. Um, and I, and I generally will work with people who their aspirations are to see them as, um, you know, better than they are. You know, I, I don't want anyone to be like, you know, I want people to see me as like, you know, a gangster. And then I'm like, okay, well, thank you very much for your time. And we're going to move on. Um, but I want, you know, you know, I, I, I love, I enjoy working with people who are, you know, try, they want to evolve and they're evolving and they realize that how they can do that is starting to change the perception of how people see them. Um, so when they step into that room, this is the, you know, look, you know, it's terrible, but we, we judge people based on how they look. Um, and so I think that's what, you know, that's what I'm, I, I do. That's what I'm able to do to, to create this image that's in them that they're not able to necessarily, you know, articulate. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Wow. Um, that is, that's, that is like, that's the gospel right there of like making people their fullest self and allowing them to take on an identity and be authentically in that identity. There's a saying in the Gospel of Thomas 22 that says it's when you make the inside like the outside and when you make the outside like the inside and a whole bunch of other stuff, that's when you enter the kingdom. Like honestly, experiences like this for me are healing. And I just want to first of all, thank you for, you know, giving that, I'll speak for myself, but thank you for giving that to me because I don't, get experiences like this enough to like have communion with other members who like look like me think like me all that other stuff just this work i feel like whew, um <laughs> no i i feel you because honestly what what you know the church putting my video out has allowed me to do is connect with people like you like and i'm like oh wait a second, I thought the only cool person in the church. We like, out here. We out here. No, no, we are out here. I was like, no, we need to do like a mission, but not like a real mission, but like uh, <laughs> like Mormons are cool mission. You know what I mean? Like, and mm -hmm. we go out like, and we like speak on how cool we actually are. And there's a lot of us. Like, there are so many. And I'm just like, oh, mm -hmm. oh I love you too. Like, and, and you could feel their spirit. Like, and I'm like, this is just through DMs. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Derek, you're going to be so proud of me right now, but this is the experience I have every time I get to talk with people like Callie-Ann. Like, you know that story of Elisha and the lad, where, like, Elisha's, where the lad is just like, you know, there's so many of them, and there's just the two of us, and then Elisha's just like, God, open this young man's eyes. Let him see that there are more with us 
than against us. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like, you know, this podcast has done, but also these experiences of communion that we're able to share with people like you, Callianne. It's just my reminder that God has opened my eyes to let me see, oh, we really out here. There are so many more of us out here, and there are more of us who are doing this work and engaged in this work um, than there are against it. And, you know, it doesn't always feel like that, you know what I'm saying? But, like, moments like this, uh, experiences like this, this just reminds me, or this is yet again another opportunity for God to take the role of Elisha and basically open my eyes and let me see what's around me. Let Like, this is what propels me in this work, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes the work of affirmation in the name of Christ for people who are traditionally not offered that affirmation by regular members of society it's difficult. It's hard. It's exhausting, you know, but um, this reminder just lets me know that one, the work is worthwhile. Two, it's destined to succeed. And three, that, you know, I have help. Like I have support. It is out here. And uh, just you being here, Kellyanne, you expressing your truth, you being the person that you are in this space is a testimony, a witness to that truth. So thank you for giving that to us. Thank you for giving that to me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you for allowing me to share it and, and, you know, let everyone know that there are more of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank so, you yeah. so much. This is amazing. <laughs> it is. Like, it really is. I really okay. think we should have a part two and come we should back, have a part come back two, in a part few three. months. I'm going to find whatever reason we can to have Kellyanne back here. But no, I, you know, it's, it's been, like I'm, and I'm always willing and open to talk because, like I said, like you know, my I'm comfortable mm. in, in saying my truth, and you know, as many people want to hear it and know it, and if I can change just one person, like to see, you know, where we are coming from, then you know, I've, I've done my job. You know, I, I've made a difference. <laughs>